I'm wearing a uh, Mount Union tie. Mount Union College State Senator Tim Schaefer of Lancaster is a grad, as is Liz Conley, Deputy Chief of Staff in the Ohio Senate. Another former staffer of mine, uh, Jesse Champ, uh, is also an alum. Uh, birthdays today, members of our cabinet, uh, Ryan Gies, um, Ohio Department of Youth Services Director, Director uh, Sherry Maxfield, Ohio Department of Commerce Director, Dan Tierney, uh, Dan Tierney, our press secretary. Happy birthday to, to all of you. Last week, we, we talked about the minimum requirements and steps that K through 12 schools uh, will need to take to reopen. Um, today, we want to talk about our colleges and universities. Um, 167 institutions of higher learning in the state of Ohio. Uh, we are very, very proud of these schools, both public and private. Uh, Ohio is blessed to have them. They also, of course, are, are preparing to start up school again, and for most of them, um, returning to campus. Um, colleges and universities really uh, drive our economy. Uh, they drive the local economy of that village or city. Uh, but they also uh, drive our economy in many other ways. They train our future workforce, their major employers, uh, they conduct the research in health and technology that makes Ohio a national leader. Uh, that's why we're going to do what we can to support them um, in this endeavor. The Ohio Department of Higher Education, uh, in consultation with our colleges, uh, universities, the Ohio Department of Health, and health experts across the state uh, produce guidance for our campuses to reopen for students, faculty, and staff uh, in the safest way possible. And I want to give a shout out to Randy Gardner, uh, the chancellor, uh, who has worked uh, uh, tirelessly on this along with his team uh, and had a lot of conversations uh, with our colleges over the last several months. Um, we are releasing guidance today. It is at www.coronavirus.ohio.gov. Coronavirus.ohio.gov. This includes minimum operating standards that should occur on all campuses in the state, as well as best practices to further enhance those standards. By implementing these minimum requirements and implementing best practices, our higher education communities continue to educate students and prevent the spread of COVID-19. Ohio's two-year and four-year colleges and universities are unique uh, communities of students, faculty, staff, and as they plan for their operations this fall. Testing will be an integral part of their comprehensive strategies to stop the spread of COVID-19. Each of Ohio's campuses must identify how it can best implement COVID-19 testing within the institution. Each campus uh, must develop policies and procedures tailored to their particular campus, uh, their particular community, uh, all related to COVID-19 testing and the isolation of those students who are showing symptoms, those faculty and staff members as well. Uh, testing of these individuals showing symptoms uh, should certainly take priority over all other uh, testing tactics. 
uh, testing uh, we would hope would be complete within a short period of time after it's done um, so that they can take the appropriate action. Uh, it is recommended that each campus either designate a university housing space to be set aside or secure local living space to be left empty so that it may be useful uh, to rapidly relocate individuals who live in residence halls, fraternities, sorority houses, or other institutional affiliated housing, those individuals who become uh, symptomatic. Now, we know that this costs money. Uh, we know that COVID-19 prevention efforts, safety precautions, uh, educating students this school year in a safe and healthy environment will be certainly more expensive than it has been in the years past. And that is a significant uh, burden. So to help address uh, these increasing costs, uh, I've spoken uh, and worked with uh, Speaker Householder, uh, Senate President Larry Obhoff, as well as Democrat leaders Yuko and Sykes. Um, <clears throat> all five of us uh, have looked at this. Uh, all five of us have had our teams working on this, uh, and we believe we have come up with something uh, that will be uh, very helpful uh, to both our K-12 schools, <clears throat> our K-12 schools, uh, as well as our colleges and universities, both, both public and private. Um, to start that, uh, we're requesting that the controlling board uh, that's scheduled to meet, I believe, on Monday, approve our initial request on Monday to allocate $200 million uh, for higher education and $100 million for K-12 uh, from the Coronavirus Relief Fund to help meet these increasing costs. As I said, um, we hope to have additional money. Um, and you know the figure that we have been talking about uh, for, for example, K through 12 uh, is certainly higher than that initial 100 million, uh, but we wanted to get this 100 million out uh, and we wanted to let the schools be able to plan based upon that money, that money coming. Uh, as I said, this money comes from Federal CARES Act dollars. I want to thank our um, members of the state, uh, excuse me, of the federal Congress, uh, both in the House and the Senate, uh, for providing these CARE dollars. Uh, funding comes from Federal CARES Act dollars, uh, and schools will be able to use it to meet their unique individual needs. Uh, we intend for this funding to be flexible. For example, and these are just examples, a community college may need assistance uh, funding testing at their student health center. Uh, a school district, a local school district, uh, may need a nurse to help with symptoms assessment. A university could use funding to purchase PPE. These are just all examples of many things, many ways that this money could be spent. Some may even choose to use this funding to provide connectivity to students and grow distance learning options. Uh, the bottom line is that we intend these funds to be used to serve students to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And again, we want our kids back in school. Uh, we want them safe. And this money will help uh, achieve that. At the K-12 level, uh, we intend to make the funding available to all public and private schools. For Ohio's higher educational institutions, we plan to make this available to two- and four-year uh, colleges and universities, both public and private, including adult career tech providers. To put it simply, uh, if you educate students in Ohio, uh, we want to provide additional support with some of the federal funding that we have available. 
our request is from uh, the, <clears throat> our request um, in regard to the controlling board uh, that we are asking the controlling board. Uh, we there is additional money though uh, that I would point out that is being made available through the CARES Act for education in the state of Ohio. Uh, $440 million in direct CARES Act funding uh, is available for our K-12 schools. $440 million. Uh, this is money uh, that when they incur a cost, uh, that they can draw this money, this money down. Uh, the state's colleges and universities also receive more than $190 million of direct federal funding. So the two figures I've given you, $440 million uh, for K-12, $190 million for uh, higher education uh, in, the in the state of Ohio. That is in addition uh, to the money that we're asking the state controlling board to approve on Monday. Uh, we hope that schools take advantage of this funding. Uh, we certainly realize, however, that it may not cover uh, all of the increased expenses schools face during this pandemic. Uh, we're going to continue to to look uh, to see if we can provide additional funds in the future. But we wanted to get started uh, with these with these dollars. I want to talk about uh, homelessness homelessness grant. Uh, in April, I announced a $1 million grant to the Coalition of Homelessness and Housing uh, to support homelessness prevention efforts and to rapidly rehouse individuals and families who were, in fact, experiencing homelessness. Those experiencing homelessness uh, certainly can be at great risk of contracting COVID, especially those in congregate facilities such as homeless shelters. Uh, therefore, it is important to do everything we can to keep them out of uh, those situations. With these resources, um, we're going to be able to keep hundreds of Ohioans safely housed during this pandemic. Uh, today, I'm announcing a, an additional uh, $15 million grant to ensure Ohioans can maintain their housing during this time. Uh, COVID-19 is still very, very much with us. I don't have to remind anybody of that. And these resources will help thousands of families across our state stay housed, stay housed, stay healthy, um, and get ready for the future. We are all now, as the virus spreads, uh, we're all starting to experience uh, knowing people uh, who have come down with, with, with COVID-19. Uh, we received word today that someone on my staff uh, has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, the individual has been working from home since the start of this pandemic. Uh, we wish person uh, the best as they recover. Uh, and this, I guess, is just a reminder uh, for everyone uh, that this uh, is, virus is very, very, very much with us. Let's go and look at the data. Uh, for the day. First, we'll start with the uh, key indicators. Um, and again, um, starting with the cases, uh, we're seeing cases uh, hover above 1,000 a day, uh, which is significantly higher than, than certainly they, they were uh, before. 
Uh, we're reporting today 1,150 new cases that we've learned about from local health departments during the last 24 hours. Uh, this is a little bit lower than our peak last week, but it's still considerably higher than where we were three weeks ago. Um, this is consistent with the pattern we've seen and are continuing to see uh, where the number of new cases is much higher than it was. Um, looking at the rest of the data, you'll see here uh, the deaths the last 24 hours uh, were where 15 uh, of our fellow citizens. Uh, the 21-day average is 18, so that's a little bit uh, under that. Uh, the hospitalization is up above the 21-day average. Uh, that's 81 uh, versus a, seven, a average of uh, 70 for 21 days. And the ICU admissions is up a little bit statewide a, a, as well. And when we get to the, the further data, we'll kind of look at this as it breaks out uh, by region uh, of, of, of the state. Um, Let's look, uh, Eric, at the next one. Uh, and let me just also point out that these are, are um, some of these are, are in fact lagging uh, indicators, uh, certainly in regard to hospitalization. Um, and when we get to new cases, that is even further out before we, we see people go to the hospital or we see them um, get into ICU. Uh, let's look at the... Um, this is the current confirmed COVID-19 patient count in Ohio hospitals by day. Uh, the previous slide depicted the number of new COVID-19 hospitalizations that we have reported. This slide also looks at hospitalizations, but it shows the daily number of COVID-19 patients that are currently, currently in Ohio hospitals. Uh, you can see from this slide that on June 26th, for example, there were 619 COVID-19 patients in hospitals around the state of Ohio. Since then, uh, we've increased that. And as of today, a snapshot as of today, 905. So June 26th, 619. Today, 905 COVID uh, patients in our hospitals in the state of Ohio. Uh, during the past few weeks, this increase has been steady, uh, which is certainly concerning, um, and as we see these numbers go up. Let's turn to the next slide, which is the testing and positivity slide. Uh, we can continue to increase our testing capacity in Ohio during the last um, few weeks. Uh, we know that testing is an important component of the ongoing monitoring of this virus. Um, we do see a, a, a kind of a different effect, and I ask our team about this today. Uh, this is a number we, we look at. Uh, we have positivity numbers statewide. So in other words, of the tests that were done, what percentage were positive? Uh, snapshot, the last day we have available, 6.4. Uh, that has hovered between 4 and 6 for some time. This is a higher number. Uh, we don't particularly like that number. Uh, but we are seeing, uh, for whatever reason in reporting, that on the weekends, uh, the positivity number is just less. And that may be who's getting, uh, obviously it's who's getting tested, where they're getting tested. So we're not really sure. Uh, so the most important thing um, 
is really to look at this in in a in a seven day average. And I'm going to try. We'll try uh, in the future not only to show you this for the day, but I think the seven day average gives us a probably a much better uh, look at what is what is going on. Uh, but the positivity rate reported for July 7th, which is that was 6.4 percent, which is Ohio's highest um, since uh, since May May 25th. Since May 25th. Now we're going to look at uh, the new risk level map. Um, and you will obviously see some changes, and I'm going to go through that. Um, we're going to do this once a week. Uh, we're doing it basically on Wednesday. Uh, data, once the Wednesday data comes out, uh, then our team uh, starts working with that data. Um, our data team has been working, uh, analyzing the data over the past week. Uh, updated the status of our counties on the public health alert system. Um, I, I want to remind everyone um, that there that there are a number of different data points that we look at. Um, Three of the data points have to do with cases. Uh, the team looks at new cases per capita. They determine if there is a sustained increase in new cases. They look at the proportion of cases that are not in a congregate setting. Uh, another group of indicators looks at symptoms. Uh, they look for a sustained increase in emergency department visits, sustained increase in outpatient visits, uh, such as people going to see their doctor's office with suspected or confirmed cases. The team also looks for sustained increases in new COVID-19 hospitalizations and increase in intensive care unit bed occupancy. Additional indicators that will ultimately be factors but are not yet uh, will include contact tracing, test per capita, and percent positivity. We do not have, for example, the test positivity broken down yet. We don't have the ability to do that by county, uh, but we are certainly looking at that. And again, to review, counties that meet zero to one indicators are public health advisory level one, yellow. Uh, level two, uh, orange is triggered when two to three public health indicators are met. Uh, for counties that meet four to five indicators, they're listed as level three, which is the red counties. Uh, once a county is at level three, um, the additional factor that then comes into play is that they cannot improve their risk level category unless cases drop below the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's threshold for high incidence, for high incidence, and that is 100 new cases per 100,000 people over the last two weeks. Uh, for a county to be considered level four or purple, a county must trigger six or more indicators during two reporting periods in a row. Uh, once a county is at a level four, it cannot improve its risk level until it's not triggered six or more indicators for two consecutive reporting periods. Uh, so let's let's uh, look at at the map, and um, we'll kind of go through these these counties uh, one by one. Um, we will start. Let's start with Hamilton County. Uh, Hamilton County, uh, you will see, has has moved up. Uh, it was red. Uh, it is now uh, on what we call the watch list, which is which is means it basically has met the criteria to go purple, but we're going to allow a week 
to elapse and look at the data again another week before we actually move it into that purple and before it looks purple on 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 the map um, Hamilton County um, during the last three weeks Hamilton County's COVID-19 cases increased along with several other health care indicators between June 24th and June 30th Hamilton County had 1,124 cases reported, the largest number of COVID-19 weekly cases reported there since the beginning of the pandemic. From June 16th to June 30th, the average new cases per day doubled, <clears throat> excuse me, from, 800, from 82 to 161, 82 to 161, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things that the data team reminds me uh, is that on a lot of this data, once you hit July 1, the data is incomplete. So you may see us referring, for example, to another period, June 16th, as I just did, to the 30th, uh, where we said the new cases per day doubled from 82 to 161. Um, we're citing that because July 1 onward, that's still fluid. And those cases are still coming in. Uh, as, as my team reminds me, due to clinical and reporting lags, these numbers may continue to grow uh, for this reporting period. Um, the community continues to experience early signs that more people are seeking medical care for COVID-19 in Hamilton County. For example, from June 16th, if you look at June 16th and June 30th, visits for COVID-19 to the emergency department doubled from an average of 11 per day to 22 per day. Uh, more people are also visiting their doctors and being nice, being diagnosed with COVID-19 between June 16th and July 2. Average outpatient visits more than tripled, more than tripled uh, from 52 to 172 visits per day. Uh, in recent weeks, over 86% of the cases uh, are not in congregate settings, uh, again, signaling significant transmission in the broader community. Uh, Hamilton County also hit a new threshold for the overall utilization rate for regional intensive care unit beds, uh, which exceeded 80% during five of the last seven days. And so that last indicator is an indicator for the that is used by the region uh, as well. So you'll see that uh, indicator used uh, for Claremont County uh, as well as Butler County. That's the only indicator that is regional because that's how people use ICU units. Um, someone, for example, in Butler County may, if they're ICU, they may certainly be in, in Hamilton County. So that metric moving up had an impact on those three counties uh, that you see in the farthest uh, southwestern part uh, of the state of Ohio. Uh, let me move to Butler County. Uh, during the last three weeks, Butler County's COVID-19 cases increased, along with several other health care indicators. Uh, between June 24th and June 30th, Butler County had 181 cases reported, the largest number of COVID-19 weekly cases reported for them since the beginning of the pandemic. From June 16th until July 3rd, the average new cases per day doubled from 15 to 29. Due to clinical and reporting lags, these numbers certainly may continue to grow for this reporting period. 
the community continues to experience early signs that more people are seeking medical care for COVID-19 symptoms. From June 16th, July 4th, Visits for COVID-19 symptoms, the emergency department tripled from an average of two today to an average of seven today per day, two per day to seven per day. Uh, more people are also visiting their doctors and being diagnosed with COVID-19 between June 16th and Ju- June, excuse me, between June 16th and July 7th. The average outpatient visits more than doubled from 15 to 38 visits per day. Again, these are the early indicators. Uh, and again, as every county in that region did, Butler also hit a new threshold for the overall utilization rate for regional intensive care unit beds, which exceeded 80% during five of the last seven days. Again, that is an, an indicator um, that that is a regional problem because that's where individuals go um, regionally for um, intensive care units, unit beds. Let's jump up uh, to Cuyahoga County. Um, during the last three weeks, Cuyahoga County's COVID-19 cases increased along with several other health care indicators. Um, between June 24 and June 30th, a Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County had 999 cases reported, the largest number of COVID weekly cases reported since the beginning of the pandemic. From June 16th until June 28th, the average new cases per day more than doubled from 66 to 151. Most of the cases in Cuyahoga County were in non-congregate settings during the last three weeks. Cuyahoga County residents are seeking care for COVID-19-related concerns at higher levels than ever before. For example, from June 16th, um, July 1, compare that uh, visits for COVID-19, the emergency department more than doubled from an average of 19 per day to 50 per day. Over the same period, the average number of outpatient visits with suspected or confirmed COVID-19 diagnosis increased from 41 to 233. 41 to 233. And that was the average number of outpatient visits with suspected or confirmed COVID. Uh, finally, more residents of Cuyahoga County were admitted to the hospitals for COVID-19. Uh, the average hospital admission per day more than doubled from 7 on June 6 to 20 on July 2nd. Let me go back to Claremont County. Um, and again, in the same, in our same region of the state, um, during the last three weeks, Claremont County's COVID-19 cases increased along with several other health care indicators. From June 16th until June 30th, the average new cases per day doubled from four to nine. Due to clinical and reporting lags, these numbers may obviously continue to grow for this period. The community continues to experience early signs that more people are seeking medical care for COVID-19 symptoms. More people are visiting their doctors and being diagnosed with COVID-19. Between June 16th and July 2nd, the average outpatient visits nearly tripled from nine today to 25 visits per day. In recent weeks, over 94% of the cases are not in congregate settings, signaling significant transmission in the broader community, community spread. Claremont County also hit a new threshold, of course, as we said, for the overall utilization rate for regional intensive care unit beds, which exceeded 80% during five of the last seven days.
uh, will move to Fairfield County. During the last three weeks, Fairfield County's COVID-19 cases have increased, along with several other health care indicators. Fairfield County reported a total of 85 cases per 100,000 residents during the last 14 days, exceeding any previous two-week period. Over 20% of Fairfield County's total cases have been in the last two weeks. So a marked, marked change in Fairfield. Uh, due to clinical and reporting lags, these numbers, of course, may continue to grow for this period. Uh, more people are visiting their doctors being diagnosed with COVID-19. Between June 16th uh, and June, July 2nd, the average outpatient visits increased from 11 to 16 per day. In recent weeks, over 88% of the cases are not in Congress settings, signaling significant transmission in the broader uh, community. Uh, let's turn to Franklin County. And you'll note in Franklin County, and we'll get to this in a minute, uh, but we had them on the watch list. We have, uh, our, our data team has now removed them from the, from the watch list. So that is a good thing. Um, this week, Franklin County was removed from the watch list due, a, due to a decrease in the number of residents being admitted to the hospital based on a COVID-19 diagnosis. Uh, but it still remains uh, as level three uh, alert red. Uh, Franklin County has reported nearly 2,200 cases during the last 14 days, which means the county exceeds the high incidence category for COVID-19 as defined by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, COVID-19 cases have increased uh, along with several other health care indicators uh, beginning on June 16th, uh, Franklin County had an average of 94 cases per day and reached an average of 175 cases per day uh, by July 2nd. Uh, due to clinical and reporting lags, these numbers may continue to grow for this period. The community uh, continues to experience early signs that more people are seeking medical care for COVID-19. Between June 16th and July 7th, average outpatient visits increased from 171 to 302 visits per day. Similarly, more residents are also going to the emergency department for COVID-like symptoms, with average daily numbers growing from 27 visits on June 16th uh, to 56 visits on July 4th. Uh, Lorraine County. During the last uh, three weeks, Lorraine County's COVID-19 cases have increased. Uh, Lorraine County has reported more than 160 cases during the last 14 days. Uh, cases more than doubled from an average of 5.5 cases on June 6th to an average of 14 cases on uh, June 29th. The community is also experiencing early signs that more people are seeking medical care for COVID-19 symptoms. From June 16th to June 30th, visits for COVID-19 to the emergency department doubled from an average of three per day to six per day. Uh, more people are also visiting their doctors and being diagnosed with COVID-19. From June 16th to July 2nd, outpatient visits more than tripled from an average of eight visits per day to 26. And in recent weeks, over 91% of the cases are not in congregate settings, signaling significant transmission in the broader community. Uh, recent community outbreaks include settings such as workplaces, a child care center, and a faith-based organization. Uh, down to Montgomery County. Uh, during the last three weeks, Montgomery County's COVID-19 cases have increased. Montgomery County has reported more than 600 cases during the last 14 days. 
which means the county is categorized as high incidence for COVID-19 as defined by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Case increases uh, from an average of 41 cases on June 16th to the average of 50 cases on June 30th. Uh, communities continue to experience early signs that people are seeking medical care for COVID-19 symptoms. Uh, from July 16th to July 2nd, visits for COVID-19 to the emergency room increased from an average of nine per day to 16. Uh, more people are also visiting their doctors uh, being diagnosed with COVID-19. From June 16th to July 3rd, outpatient visits nearly quadrupled from an average of 14 visits per day to 48. Uh, over 63% of the cases are not in congregate settings, signaling transmission in the broader community. Uh, the number of COVID-19 positive patients in the West Central Region's hospital beds, ICUs, and on ventilators has tripled since the beginning of June. Uh, recent community outbreaks include settings such as workplaces, restaurants, and nursing homes. Uh, Pickaway County. Uh, during the last three weeks, Pickaway County's COVID-19 cases increased, along with several other health care indicators. From June 16th until July 2nd, the average new cases per day increased from one to four. Due to clinical and reporting lags, these numbers may continue to grow. Now, the community has experienced early signs that more people are seeking medical care. Between June 16th and July 7th, the average outpatient visits increased from eight to 11. In recent weeks, over 81% of the cases are not in congregate settings, signaling significant uh, transmission in the community. Pickaway County's recent outbreaks include a restaurant, a faith-based organization. Let me move to Summit County. Uh, during the last three weeks, Summit County's COVID-19 cases increased along with several other health care indicators. During the last two weeks, Summit County had a total of 59 cases per 100,000. Uh, from June 16th until June 30th, the average new cases per day nearly tripled from 11 to 30. Uh, due to clinical and reporting lags, of course, these may increase some. The community experienced early signs that more people are seeking medical care. Uh, for example, from June 16th to June 30th, visits for COVID-19 to the emergency department increased from an average of 5.5 per day to 8.5. More people are also visiting their doctors and being diagnosed with COVID-19. Between June 16th and July 2nd, the average outpatient visits nearly tripled, nearly tripled from 11 to 29 visits per day. Uh, Summit County currently has faith-based workplace and long-term care facility outbreaks. Trumbull County. Let's look at, uh, take a look at uh, Trumbull, Trumbull County. Um, during the last three weeks, Trumbull County's COVID cases have increased along with several other health care indicators. During the last two weeks, Trumbull County had a total of 68 cases per 100,000 residents. From June 16th until the 27th of June, the average new cases per day doubled from 8 to 17. Um, more residents are visiting the emergency department from June 16th to the 29th. Visits for COVID-19 to the emergency department increased from an average of three per day to eight per day. Trimble County residents are being admitted to the hospital with the average number from growing from one to six on June 16th, from one on June 16th to four on July 1. Trimble County currently has an outbreak in an apartment complex and several long-term care facilities. Wood County. Uh, during the last three weeks, Wood County's COVID-19 cases have increased along with several other indicators. 
during the last two weeks, Wood County had a total of 63 cases per 100,000 residents. Over 18% of Wood County's total cases have been in the last two weeks. Uh, from June 16th until July 11th, the average daily new cases significantly increased from less than one to nine. Uh, due to clinical, uh, over 89% of the cases are not in congregate settings, signaling that we do have community spread. The community is also experiencing early signs that people are seeking medical care for COVID-19. Between June 16th and July 2nd, the average outpatient visits nearly doubled from three to six per day. Now, let me look here. We had a couple other things. I'm, John, I'm going to look at this map a moment. I'm going to refer to you, and then I'll come, I'll come right back, and then we'll get to questions. Sure. Good afternoon. And um, I have a few things on the job, job training, uh, medical advancement, and sports fronts. And let me start with the launch of IMAP. Uh, which is a job training program. Uh, we, many of you have heard me talk about TechCred, which is our uh, effort to get employers to upgrade, upskill the, the people in their workforce. Uh, and as people are trying to get back to work, uh, if you look at the Ohio Means Jobs website, you see there's 120,000 jobs on there that are currently available. 60,000 of them pay more than $50,000 a year. But if you look, you're going to see that tech skills are an important part of landing those uh, higher paying jobs that are part uh, of our landscape. And so we're announcing today uh, the $2.5 million grant opportunity under the Individual Micro-Credential Assistant Program, or IMAP as we're calling it. Today, this is for the providers to register so that they can provide these skills. The grant application is open to those training providers today. Those can be universities, colleges, our Ohio Technical Career Centers, and private sector training groups, because we know that there are a lot of them that are really doing a great job of getting the tech um, uh, skills developed in their workforce. And this program was created in partnership with the Ohio legislature last year. I want to thank them for their efforts. Uh, it will provide up to $3,000 uh, of training reimbursement uh, for an individual. And um, you can find out more information at IMAP, I-M-A-P dot development dot Ohio dot gov. We're going to ask the training providers first to go and apply for this, which will wrap up on July 24th. And then uh, we'll have an announcement of how individuals can go about uh, applying for this. But wanted to put it on their radar screen to get the training providers involved so that they can qualify for this and we can get people trained up uh, to tackle some of these opportunities that are growing as we come out of, uh, of the economic slowdown. Uh, and as we, we do that, I also want to highlight shared work and uh, the shared work executive order that the governor signed uh, on July the 2nd. This will allow the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services to draw down to draw down federal dollars authorized under the CARES Act for the shared work program. And I've talked about shared work before, but let me just give a, a quick review of this because this is a great program for employers and employees. It's designed to keep people working. Uh, and we know that when you have an economic slowdown that you may not have enough work for all of your employees, but you want to keep them on the job. You want to retain their talent for when the economy picks back up and you can use them full time. Well, this, this program, Shared Work, is designed for this kind of activity. And let me give you a, the 
few details on how it works. Employers uh, who uh, want to reduce staff um, and reduce their hours in a uniform percentage between 10 and 50 percent, so they're going to reduce hours for employees between 10 and 50 percent uh, of, of a maximum of up to 52 weeks. This will keep people employed. At the same time, those employees uh, will receive shared work compensation for the remaining hours, which is prorated uh, as an unemployment benefit. So you can work, draw down your salary for that, and then for those hours that the employer is shortening that, you can draw down unemployment compensation. And the program is easy to use and gives a lot of flexibility to employers. Just so you know, since March the 15th, when we, when we, were, we started to push this, 909 employers have used it. Uh, 1,680 shared work Ohio plans have been advanced, and that has allowed 46,352 employees to stay on the job and still um, have the opportunity to to reduce their work and also get compensated for the hours that they're not working. So that's really working well to keep people employed in Ohio, and we want to keep that going. And then let me also add some good news on the medical front, and I want to remind people about plasma donation. On coronavirus.ohio.gov, under our checklist station, you'll find some resources about donating plasma. Convalescent plasma uh, is very help, very helpful. It's rich in antibodies that could be used to uh, attack COVID-19 uh, as a treatment uh, for the severity of the virus and, and for the length of duration. People who have fully recovered from COVID-19 for at least two weeks are encouraged to consider donating. Uh, you can find more information on how to donate at redcrossblood.org forward slash plasma for COVID. So go to the Red Cross website, redcrossblood.org forward slash plasma for COVID. Uh, and, and, or you can contact any Red Cross local organization or plasma donor center. OSU's uh, uh, Mech, uh, Wexner Medical Center is also a place that you can contact for ways to help. The Hawksworth Blood Center at the University of Cincinnati is another place that is also collecting it. You can find that at hawksworth.org. Um, I know that Dr. Dean Kariakis at the Christ uh, Hospital in Cincinnati, and I have talked about this many times, uh, he's told me that even though this is in the investigative stage, that Ohio uh, medical facilities are having success with this. So plasma donation, Ohio innovators in the medical care field are using this to help people uh, not only survive uh, when they're in, in difficult situations, but to even shorten the stay for people there who are there. And then finally, um, we talk a lot about sports um, and the return to play plan. Many non-contact sports have been active. We have a temporary order uh, under specified circumstances to allow contact to go forward uh, until uh, the 15th of next week. Uh, we've launched the I Want a Season hashtag that we're using uh, to try to remind young people that if they want to have a season, if they want to control the spread of coronavirus to their teammates and their family, they should wear a mask and socially distance. Very important. But we'll have more guidance. I know people want to plan. I know they want to, that, the, that when you 
think about sports and some of the contact sports that we don't have future guidance on, uh, that will be coming next week. Wanted to keep you informed on that. We're trying to have these great conversations on what we're learning, talking with the sports organizations from around the state. That's Ohio High School Athletic Association, our college and professional teams, to make sure that we are learning on how to keep people safe, allowing them to participate. Uh, and we will be forthcoming with more information uh, starting uh, sometime next week. So that's my um, quick update on all of those topics. Please take advantage of the training opportunity. Please donate plasma if, you're, uh, if you've uh, had COVID and, and you want to help somebody else out. So we'll, we'll uh, conclude with that and turn back to the governor for a couple of more items. Thank you very much. Just a couple of other comments before we get to questions. One thing to note, on the map uh, is that uh, Huron County was moved down uh, barely. <laughs> it was that close, uh, but uh, you know we're going to follow these numbers, and uh, so that's that's a good thing. We're very happy about that, and uh, we hope that that continues to see other other counties get a lower level uh, of risk. Um, also would mention uh, we had 18 counties move from yellow to orange. Uh, of note. Um, Highland County met two indicators, uh, which you would move it, but it still remains yellow because they're a low incident county. Uh, this means they have, under the criteria we've set up, uh, they have fewer than 10 cases per 100,000 for a two-week period, which automatically uh, makes them, uh, according to our order, a level one county. Uh, so uh, I apologize for taking as long to go through each county. I want people uh, who are watching this from one of these counties to at least be able to hear. Uh, I suspect what we will do uh, going forward is we'll try to be a little crisper in the summarization of, of, of the counties. Uh, this is going to be posted, um, a, basic, a basic summary uh, of each of the red counties. That will, in fact, be be posted, uh, so you'll be able uh, to go online and, and, and look at that particular county. And again, we have some counties moving moving around, uh, a couple of them in the right direction, a couple of them, some in the wrong direction. Uh, but we're gonna, the goal here is to try to keep you informed where your county is the um, best that we can do that uh, we have data that we've shared with you but we also want to put it into a, a, a category or, or again a color that makes it easier I think to to understand particularly when you you look at the map and again those counties that are on watch uh, we see uh, Hamilton uh, Butler Cahaga County uh, that means that they really for one week qualified to go into the purple uh, and we're not putting them into the purple until they do it two weeks we put a kind of asterisk there or a star there that designates that they're they're on on that kind of a, a watch a watch list so ready for questions Good afternoon, Governor. Randy Ludlow with the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, obviously, with the designation of these new red counties, we have uh, mask orders uh, expanding uh, uh, farther still. Uh, why did you feel the need for the first time during this pandemic to directly regulate people attending a religious gathering? And why are you convinced this is allowed under the First Amendment? 
What specific examples of COVID spread can you cite from religious gatherings that would require all congregates to wear masks? Uh, Randy, that's a very good question. Uh, and one of the things I want to assure everyone is that Ohio has been a leader in this in the sense that we have never, ever closed down any religious activity. None. Uh, we do not intend to uh, going forward. Uh, we have not regulated in any way um, funerals. We've not regulated baptisms, marriages, uh, anything. And it's because we thought that was the right thing to do, that this is a great tradition uh, in, our, in our, our country. Uh, and we are not in any way prohibiting anyone from going to church now. Uh, what we are simply saying is that we do have examples, and, and Randy, I'll get you the examples, but they're certainly uh, been reported in the Columbus Dispatch. They've been reported in other papers, and, and I can tell you from talking to our health directors, uh, these occur. Uh, and it, it should, not, should not be a surprise. Whenever we just bring people together, um, we see that, uh, and we see in, in large gatherings. Um, and so when I've talked to, to pastors, uh, I've, you know, said, just be careful. Uh, I, I get texts all the time. Or, or, you know, what can we do? Say, Look, you can, you can do anything, but you, you need to be careful. So we put on, in this order, uh, what we consider to be the minimal, and that is that following best medical guidance to stop the spread of, of COVID-19, in those counties that are red uh, or purple, that people who are attending a service, uh, when they can, a whole bunch of exceptions, medical exceptions, but that they should wear a mask. Um, we have provided that the person officiating it certainly does not have to wear a mask during the time that they're talking or, 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 or in any way need to not have a mask on. Uh, our interpretation of that is going to be broad. So simply if you have a reader who stands up and reads, that's fine. Uh, if you have someone distributing communion, that's fine. Uh, you know, if there's some reason they can't have the mask on. Uh, it's usually going to be speaking roles uh, that may get in the way of them speaking. So it's a very light touch, but for us to ignore uh, a significant gatherings that do in fact occur um, it didn't really seem to make sense. And so that's why we did it, uh, is for protection of, of our fellow citizens. And um, it's something that we hope does not last very long. Uh, what we hope is that if we all do this, we all wear a mask, uh, if we keep distance, uh, that these counties will move out of red. Uh, now, we hope people continue to wear masks, but um, when they're red, we have problems. Trend lines are all the wrong direction. And we feel very, very strongly that, you know, look, we've got to, we've got to protect people. Uh, and we've got to, when you're wearing a mask, you're generally wearing it for other people. Uh, and so this is, uh, I, I believe, the thing that we, we need to do to get us out of this. Look, let's keep our eye on the ball. Our eye, our, what we're aiming to do here 
is to have fall where we have kids back in school, have fall and do fall sports, have Friday night football. I mean, these are all things that we all want to see and do. And what we do in the next 30 days or so is, is frankly going to determine how all that works out. Um, I mean, so that's why that's why we did it. Thank you, Governor. Jack Windsor, WMFD-TV, Mansfield. Governor, 51 of Ohio's 88 counties have had less than 10 deaths since November 2019. Uh, 13 of those have had zero. They've seen declining hospitalizations and almost no deaths, yet they're in code yellow. The CDC shows an entire U.S. map in the green, but we don't even have a green label on our map in Ohio. The CDC also reported the 10th straight week of declining deaths. They indicated that COVID may go below the epidemic threshold. Since the start of the pandemic up to today, not a single one of the seven counties coded red before today had ICU utilization above 80% and COVID-specific ICU utilization was under 10% in all seven counties. This does not reflect a pandemic or epidemic environment, yet these counties are in code red. We're in a heightened state of fear that has had an adverse effect on people, schools, and businesses. Governor, can you explain why we're being mandated more now and being told to be more afraid even though our own state numbers and the CDC numbers tell a different story? And then, side note, um, any update on the antibody testing we discussed last week? Well, I'll let the uh, Lieutenant Governor talk about antibody testing, but I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Oh, we should not fear. We should not live our lives in fear. What we should be is what Ohioans have always been, and that is optimistic about the future. We have been a people who have felt that we could control our destiny. We can control the future. And so what we do in the next 30 days is going to determine if we're going to be able to do all the things that, that we want to do. Um, these are, with the exception of one thing, and that is the word, putting a mask on out in public, with that exception, there is no mandate associated with any of these. If you're yellow, you're yellow. If you're orange, you're orange. Life, life can go on the same way. What we're, what we're trying to do that we've done throughout this is to tell people all the data that we know. And this is not just case numbers. It's not just one thing. It's seven separate indicators that indicate, and, there, and four of the seven are directional. In other words, which direction are we heading? And so this gives us all an opportunity to change the future. I've talked about being a fan of Back to the Future movies, uh, which kind of dates me, I guess, but they're still fun to watch. But the point is, there's alternative futures. There always are. It's which pathway we take, what we do. And having the best information so that Ohioans can make those decisions is what we owe, we owe to give to the public. For three months, uh, I, I've had uh, many of my friends who said, Mike, why don't you give us data county by county? My county is not the same as somebody else's county. My county is doing okay. Okay. We're trying to give now the data based upon objective data about where every single county is every week. 
Will these numbers change? Will these colors change? Yeah, they're going to, they're going to change some. We hope we start getting rid of the red, uh, and we hope we don't see purple, and we hope any kind of uh, order to wear a mask. We hope people continue to do it because that's the way we can drive these numbers down. That's the way we can stop the stop the spread. Um, and that's what we hope for. But this isn't a, this is not about fear. This is about us controlling our future. Ohioans controlling their own destiny, and they need information to be able to do that. John. Yeah. Uh, Jack, I don't have any update for you on antibody testing today. If I, if I can find something, uh, I've texted back to talk to the staff about if there's any updates. But I will give a full report on that on Tuesday, which I had planned to do about the progress of where things come. So if I don't have something today, I will have it by the beginning of next week. Governor, hi, Lieutenant Governor. This is Molly Martinez with Spectrum News. The virus has infiltrated at least one of the chambers. Uh, Governor DeWine, you have a staffer now that has unfortunately tested positive, and many more staffers are becoming infected, yet it seems there isn't much transparency, and many staffers are finding out they've been exposed from news outlets. Can you comment on why you think that is? No. Uh, you know, we're going to try. We found out this morning about a member of our staff. We wanted to make that public. Um, you know, I, I, the person that we're talking about, who, who I know very, very well, um, you know, ha has been working from home. Uh, so obviously did not get it in, in the office. But, um, you know, we're going to try to share any information that, that we have. That's what we're going to do. Governor DeWine, Dan Perlman with NBC4 here in Columbus. Franklin County is no longer on the watch list for approaching level four on the public health advisory system, but two neighboring counties, Pickaway and Fairfield, are now at level three. Should residents in those counties be concerned that perhaps the virus is spreading from Franklin County outward? I think that would be too simplistic an explanation. Uh, I don't think anyone really knows. Um, you know, the health directors in those two counties uh, probably can give you uh, some indication based on the tracing that they're doing. Uh, and when they talk to residents of the county who've come down with, with COVID-19. So, you know, tr trying to and, and we're trying to uh, get better data for me and for you so that we can share that but I can't I cannot answer that question I could it would only be speculation I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that but the, but those health directors probably I can't speak for them but they probably have some indication of where uh, their citizens who are getting infected where they they may have been now it, it, as we all know uh, there's some cases where people just don't know where they I mean they don't know where they got it because you got people who have no symptoms and so they may have been with somebody uh, and but they don't you know they didn't know they got it from them and that person still to this day doesn't know they have it so uh, so the answer is I don't know um, I can't really answer
Good afternoon, Governor Karen Johnson, WLWT in Cincinnati. There are a lot of school districts asking about this money. Obviously, they all want a piece of the pie. When will this money be available? How can they go about getting this? And if school districts are going to be doing a higher level of testing, does this mean that sports clubs and other groups will be able to be up and running again? Well, as far as the money, uh, the, the, the original uh, money uh, from the CARES Act, uh, my understanding uh, is they simply draw it down. When they spend, they spend money uh, on something that qualifies, they then can draw that money down. Uh, I was on a call uh, with the vice president the other day, uh, and they noted that I think less than 5% of this money has been drawn down. But that's not unusual. Uh, one would assume as school gets ready to start that more of that money will be drawn down. It's a significant amount of money, as we, as, as we outlined. As far as the new money uh, that we're going to take and designate from the, the CARES dollars that, that, that we have and something we've worked with the legislature on, that money will be in front of the controlling board on Monday. Uh, and as soon as they... Uh, uh, vote on that, assuming that they release that money, uh, then the process will can start to to release that money. John, you want to add? Something? Yeah, we, we just we can't spend money we don't have yet, so we're going to wait on the legislature uh, to get this done, and I'm sure they'll be enthusiastic about supporting schools. And uh, it, look, we know that there are going to be COVID-related expenses, and we just wanted to let them know and signal to them that, that there are going to be resources on that, and we will fill in the details uh, be, uh, to that as it goes forward. But, but I know, uh, to, to the point of your question, Schools are nervous. They know that these things are out there. What we're trying to do today is to let them know that there is a plan to help support those COVID-related expenses. Hi, Governor. Tristan Navera from Columbus Business First. Uh, so the Census Bureau estimates last month that about 500,000 Ohioans struggled to pay their rent. Um, eviction moratoriums are ending and court is back in session around the state. Uh, you announced today $15 million for housing stability funds, but last month you got a letter from 180 organizations saying the number needed was probably closer to $100 million um, because they estimated that as many as 700,000 Ohioans could be at risk of eviction this year. Uh, so why $15 million? Do you foresee the need for more in the future? or other kinds of funding? Uh, we'll certainly monitor it, uh, and we'll see how things are, are going. Uh, we're certainly open. Uh, obviously, you have to find the money somewhere, but uh, this is certainly important, and we're going to monitor it, absolutely. Hi, Governor Jim Otte from WHIO-TV in Dayton, Ohio. There's a certain state lawmaker from the Miami Valley who publicly is not just questioning but floating multiple theories about what really is behind the data that you've been talking about for the last couple of months. That same lawmaker is also now encouraging people publicly to stop being tested. Your reaction to that, and how do you counteract that from your position? Well, I think that's shocking uh, that anyone would recommend to their fellow citizens who might have symptoms uh, that they not be tested. Um, it's hard for me to believe, frankly. Um, if you have any indication that you have 
COVID-19, um, you know, the right thing to do um, is to be tested. If, in fact, you are, then try to figure out how to alert, uh, and the health department will help you, but figuring out how to alert people who you may have infected. Um, and so they, in turn, can be tested, and if they uh, test positive, that they can hunker down a little bit and not be infecting other people. Uh, if we're going to keep our businesses open, if we're going to give people confidence that they can uh, go out in public, uh, we got to do two things. We've got to keep masks on. We've got to keep keep some distance. And we got to test and test and test. Now, testing by itself does not solve all our problems. But if we test, we then can isolate the virus. So... I, I, I just don't know what to say, uh, but it, that would just not be the, the right thing to do, um, to do that. Can I add yeah. a couple of thoughts to that? Um, all of these, everything we're asking people to do, it, it's not always about you. It, it's about other people. Um, I know that... Uh, just like we're talking about high school students about wearing masks and socially distance, we know that statistically the chance of mortality for a young, healthy person is very low. But there's, you know, the reason to test or the reason to wear a mask or socially distance is so that you can protect yourself and you can protect your teammates so you can play. But then you get to the other end of it, you know, one of the reasons that that you might want to get a test and do all these things is you may have somebody who you love who is elderly or has a health condition or that you have to work with who cares for somebody that has those things, that we're, we're there to protect them. You can, you can live your life. Just do it thoughtfully with other people in mind. And, and if you think you have a symptom, oh my goodness, get a test because you'd want to know. Why would we want to live life in the dark? Why would we want to encourage people not to have information about their health status so that they could then be empowered to, to protect the people that they care about? Testing is one of the few things that we have to control the spread. And when you control the spread, then if you're, you're building consumer confidence, you're protecting your loved ones, you're doing everything that helps protect the health and the economic future of our state. So everything that you can do to help one another, whether that's testing, wearing a mask, social distancing, is about them. It's not just about you. It's about protecting people, protecting the economy, and and you know nobody's mandating you get a test, but you ought to do it to try to help. Thank you. Hi, Governor DeWine. This is Farnoosh Mary from the Associated Press. On Tuesday, you um, required a mask mandate in seven counties, and today you said 12 counties. So in addition to those seven counties have been labeled red. Will that change the mask mandate? And for her on that was lowered to a level two, will that change your mask mandate in that county? Um, you know, this, by the way, I didn't say it. <clears throat> Thank you for reminding me. This goes into effect uh, tomorrow night at 6 p.m. for the additional counties. 
So red counties uh, will go forward. Um, as we saw in Huron County, when a county moves out of red and drops down, um, when it drops down, then the mask order goes off. Now, we hope people in Huron County will, because they're right at the bubble, frankly. Uh, we don't want them going back to red, and we, we hope people will, will use this kind of as cautionary uh, information and, and continue to, to, to mask up. But we're going to call it like the numbers are, uh, and, and we're going to inform people where those numbers are. They're very close for Huron County, but they're slightly under, and so they move back. Uh, they move back to the lower, the lower color, to orange. Thank you. Date on the antibody test. I'll provide quickly. Uh, the study began last week. Uh, they mailed out 12,000 postcards, uh, invitation letters. Uh, on Monday, they began testing the workforce, which will include the recruiters, interviewers, and nurses who will be conducting the test. Uh, training began for them on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, the teams will be in the field co collecting samples uh, today. Uh, this is the actual first day uh, of this. They're going to be starting out in central Ohio. The goal is to collect 1,200 samples from individuals statewide. They'll do it as fast as they can. Um, and uh, this will... Uh this will conclude, they hope, by the 28th of this month as they go through uh, Central first, Southwest and West Central, Southeast and Southeast Central, Northeast and East Central, and then Northwest Ohio. Uh, and that will give us a, a snapshot of that during that period of, of who may have had COVID, who have antibodies in, in their system, and hopefully uh, that is uh, that will give us uh, the information we seek, and that will hopefully answer Jack's question from earlier in the news conference. Thank you. Hi, this is Jesse Balmert with The Inquirer. My question is, how do you get buy-in or people to change behaviors in perhaps less populous counties where they see comparatively small numbers like two ER visits a day going to seven ER visits a day in Butler County, which has 380,000 people? Well... We're seeing more people wear masks. Uh, that was occurring uh, as anecdotal. Oh, I don't have any solid evidence except just what I'm getting reported from talking to different mayors and talking to different officials who are out and about. Um, I think people are beginning to understand that we don't want to end up as Florida. We don't want to end up as Texas. Um, God love them and their uh, citizens, but we don't want to see that. Uh, we don't want to see Ohio on TV like that. Uh, we don't want our citizens have to go through that. Uh, so I, I think it, what these, these do is they give you a, a, a real indication of if you've got a problem, if you have a trend, uh, if you have a serious trend, things going in the wrong direction, uh, and the whole idea behind them is to get people information so that they can say, okay, look, uh, you know, I might not have been concerned when we were at Orange, uh, but look, this is a new level. The indicators are going, are going the wrong way. And so I think you're going to see more and more people uh, who will, uh, particularly in those counties where we are, they are red, I think more people will start wearing the mask. 
you know, the law is is a teacher. Uh, it, it is what we're trying to do is 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 we don't have to change everyone's behavior. Um, we know there'll be people out there who will not uh, do that. We understand that. Uh, but if we can get 75 to 80 percent of people uh, who are actually out in public, um, who are interacting with other people. Um, to wear a mask, uh, we will beat this thing down. Uh, it it will make a fundamental difference. Um, it's it will change the fall. It will change the winter. Uh, it will make it. It will make a difference. Uh, nothing is. No single act will change everything. But in combination with keeping distance, washing your hands, wearing a mask, uh, you know, kind of being thinking twice about what you do, where you go, um, those things are, are all within the grasp of all of us. And I guess I always try to take the long view. Um, we're going to get out of this. There is sunlight out there. We are going towards it. We're going to make it. Uh, and frankly, we all want to be there um, when this thing is over with. And we want our loved ones to be there. And we want our neighbors and our friends to be there. And to do that, we've got to make some changes in our lives. We have to live with this virus. You know, we don't know how long we're going to have to live with it. But we're going to have to live with it for a while. Um, and the other thing I would say is that I know there's some fatalists out there who say, oh, well, everybody will get it or X number of people will get it. Might as well get it over with. Well, that's just ridiculous. And it's ridiculous because look how far we've come when this started. Uh, look what doctors know today. Look at their ability to treat people who are very, very, very sick. They don't save everybody. We know that. But they're saving more. Um, and if it's a choice of getting it t today or three months ago, you're better off getting it today. And if it's today versus three months from now, you're better off three months from now. So we are all in this together. Uh, we can get through it. There's all things that every, each and every one of us wants to do uh, with our families, with our kids. My, my case, our kids and our grandkids. Uh, a lot of things I want to do. And so just being careful, uh, thinking about other people not spreading it. Uh, I, I just think the more people analyze this and think about it, um, and the evidence is just absolutely overwhelming, that you're going to see more and more people who are going to comply. Will everyone? Certainly not. We know that. But if we can get 75 or 80 percent, we're going to knock this thing in the head pretty hard. Thank you. Hello, Governor. Jim Province with the Toledo Blade. Uh, and continuing with the face mask issue, um, I know that you want everybody to wear a face mask uh, whenever possible. Um, but does this face mask order apply to non-residents of these counties who are either passing through, stopping at a gas station, maybe going to uh, dinner in a neighboring county? And um, is that one of the reasons that at least initially you preferred statewide orders as opposed to county-by-county county orders? Well, Jim, it's a good question. I mean, look, you, you, can, <laughs> you can argue this either way. Um, we've kind of come down in, in the middle, frankly. Uh, we have some, some state orders that apply in every single county, from Monroe County uh, to Cleveland, uh, Cuyahoga County to Hamilton County. Um, and those are kind of baseline orders. 
no large gatherings, uh, keep your distance, uh, etc. Those apply everywhere. But there was an argument, there is an argument, that the data is different in different counties and that what goes on in a, a very rural county in Ohio, um, now what goes on down here, you pick the area, um, is different. And that while we have orders that in business, no matter what county you're in, you have to wear a mask at that business, but if you're out in public, uh, it made sense to impose it for those counties that are at the highest level of risk. Now look, you know, uh, and everyone knows that the business group that we put together, health slash business, came back initially with recommendations that not only everybody in the workplace should wear a mask, but everybody in public. Um, we put that out there, and uh, it was abundantly clear uh, that people of the state of Ohio w were not ready for that. S so what we have done uh, is to, we waited. The situation is more serious. We now have the ability to target those counties with data. We can tell by data uh, those counties that are most at risk uh, and to say, okay, we're going to have this face mask, mask order for these counties that hit red or hit purple. Um, it is something that I think the majority of people will accept. Not everybody will accept it, but I think the majority of people will accept because it's based on data. It's based on evidence. And we're not saying everybody has to do it. If you're in Monroe County, you don't have to do it. Or if you're in another one of our great uh, counties, uh, Ross County, Pike County, etc., you don't have to do it. But if we're at this level, then you need to do it. Um, so it's, it's kind of the way of, of, of getting at the problem in a way that I hope is acceptable uh, to the people uh, of those counties. Uh, they can work their way out of this. Uh, we would love for them. Nothing would please me more than to look at that map and see no, no purple and no red. I would be delighted. Uh, so that's, that's why we did it. And uh, again, our, our, our destiny is in our own hands as we move forward here. And are non-residents expected to comply when they're in those counties? They should. They should. Look, I mean, we're not we're not talking about throwing people in jail. This is an, this is a a law uh, that you know is there to advise people what they should do. Most people will follow the law. Most Ohio citizens will follow the law. Uh, if somebody happens to be in a county. Uh, that is red, and they come out of a county that is not red or purple, um, look, they're going to get a break. Uh, you know, virtually everybody's going to get get a break, and it's gonna, people are going to be asked, we just put the mask, put a mask on, and I'm sure that the stores and restaurants will have an extra mask, and they'll just say, here, put that on. So this will work out. Ohioans can figure this out. We can work this out. Thank you. Tom Bosco with ABC6 here in Columbus, and I've been informed that this is the last question of the day. 
back to colleges and universities. You know, we already have people on college or young people on college campuses with sports uh, resuming and, and getting uh, practices underway. We've already seen Ohio State has uh, stopped uh, practices for seven teams because of some positive COVID tests. We've seen this with sports around the country at other universities. Is this a kind of a canary in a coal mine or an indicator that, that getting schools and universities back open may not work? No one said this is going to be easy. Um, this is not going to be easy. Uh, we have congregate living in, in <laughs> it dorms, but uh, it's, 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 it's also not what, go, what not only what goes on in the classroom, but it's obviously what goes on in, in uh, young people's lives. Long, young people like to like to get together. Uh, we, we all know that. So yeah, this is um, we're going to have to see how this works out. And colleges are going to make their own decisions. They're going to look at this. Um, I've been impressed with our, our colleges uh, in, in Ohio. Uh, their preparation for this, what they're doing for this. Um, they know quite candidly that they have to sell this to parents and to students that, you know, they are providing the safest environment they can provide on campus. Um, there's always a risk, and, and we know that. But I, I think there's almost a, a competition, uh, and Ohio colleges uh, and universities have risen to the challenge, and they're all setting up their own criteria and exactly what they're doing. Uh, we've worked with them, as I said. Uh, Chancellor Gardner has worked with them very, very closely. Uh, he is very impressed with what they've done. I've been very impressed uh, with, with what they have done. But it's not without risk, uh, and it's not without, um, you know, trap doors uh, and pitfalls, uh, whatever words you want to use. And, and so, yeah, we don't know where this is going. Again, this virus, uh, we know it's dangerous. We know it spreads well. Um, but, you know, we don't know where exactly it's going to be in the fall. And I'll just conclude um, before I say goodbye to all of you until uh, next Tuesday at, at 2 o'clock. Uh, but again, we can control some of this. Uh, we can control some of our future, how things are going to be in a month. Uh, and the more Ohioans will wear a mask out in public, uh, the more Ohioans will keep their distance, um, the better off we're going to be. And finally, please get a test. Uh, if you have an opportunity to get a test, get a test. Um, one of the things I was talking to General Harris about this morning uh, with our Ohio National Guard, we are going to look at those communities where uh, the local officials uh, tell us we have not had enough testing here. We've not had the availability of testing. Uh, it's not been easy enough. Um, I told the general, look at our, some of our mid-level counties in size uh, and cities and, and see if, you know, they want us to come in. Uh, we're going to be guided by what local officials say to us. And if local officials want additional testing so that they can cut this uh, virus off at the knees, which is what testing can do, uh, and why you do testing as well as for the individual who's being tested so that they can get their proper diagnosis. Uh, so I would invite any, you know, any mayors, uh, any counties that, again, want us to have the guard to come in for a day, do a pop-up test there. Uh, we're happy to do that. Uh, we're, we're happy to, to help. So we'll see you all. Uh, we'll see you all Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Thank you very much.